Podcast. My name is Abigail Kelly, and I'm here with Jessica Hernandez. What up? <laughs> uh, you are a bookseller of some sort. Is that is that true? <laughs> For through the grapevine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, I am a bookseller of the children's persuasion. Oh, that's really ominous the way you <laughs> said that. Yeah. Well, uh, Jessica, I have a question for you. Do you read romance novels? <sighs> no. I, I consume the films. For shame. <laughs> no, I tend to, to stay away even from, like, young adult. Okay. Are you, is there any particular reason? Uh, I don't know. I think because it's something that and I want something different. Okay. You know, I, I think I was very much of that persuasion of, of the people who are like, oh, we need to read other stuff besides smooching. Okay. So I tended to stay away from it to the point where I kind of like think got a little judgy. That I mean, that's that's not unusual, and I I I don't necessarily blame you for it. I think the particularly like the YA genre got really oversaturated for a long time, and there was also all of that like cultural miasma of judging anything that a teenage girl really likes, exactly. and kind of how we internalize that. Um, I know that I definitely felt the same way for a long time, whereas I never stopped reading romance novels, but I was very cagey about it and very much like, oh, yeah, no, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a paranormal. It's about, it's about, it's about, it's about like magic and stuff. It's not about, I mean, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of kissing in it, really. But it's all, but it's, but it's only because of the magic, because, because it's need, they need to do it to save the world. It's fine. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, really similar that I was very, you know, Twilight happened when we were teenagers, right? Yeah, the heat of it. it and, like um, I remember in high school, I was very anti-Twilight, but it was okay to like Hunger Games because Hunger Games was a serious novel. It oh, was so a dis- serious. It was action-filled, and that the love triangle was just a sub subsidiary thing. It mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the real plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was okay. Okay. All right. Um, how do you feel about <laughs> bodice rippers? And when I say bodice river, I mean a very specific kind of romance novel. You know, I actually never even heard of that term until I became a bookseller. Oh, okay. And we did not care. We did. Okay. For the audience's sake, just so you know, we do actually work in the same bookshop together. And (laughs) also we did not carry almost any romance. No, we had the one bookseller who she is another avid reader of romance. But she's all contemporary though. In in the romance genre itself, not like in YA, she's very like like magic heavy in YA but yeah. in our romance section it was almost all contemporary I think that was part of the curation of just for the store but mm. she definitely like I've seen her Goodreads mm-hmm. and that's how I understood the term bodice ripper okay basically by just the covers all right all right um there, there's some controversy over that. Uh, I, I think there's like also just from my like personal opinion, I don't really care about the term bodice ripper. I don't find it particularly offensive, but I do understand like a it's cultural connotations of like trash books, which mm-hmm. I also don't really enjoy calling these books trash very much, although I do playfully sometimes and Paige certainly does. Um, but it, I, I, I don't like the implication that like passion involves a man ripping my clothes off but like clothes are expensive <laughs> all right um but yeah i um today we are going to be talking about the 
Okay, everything I say as a caveat uh, here is everything I say is, like everything else in media, is debated. Um, from what I could tell, this is the generally agreed upon first Harlequin romance bodice ripper published in the United States. Got it. Um, I Content warning. There was a time where many things were considered acceptable in fiction that we, I think as modern audiences, would be very uncomfortable with today because... And we're going to get into this. Um, this this episode is going to be a little bit less about the actual plot of the book and more about the the themes and the cultural impact around it. Um, it. I believe that the things that we would find very uncomfortable they were they were uncomfortable then, but the audience had a certain understanding of what these were coded as. These scenes that we would look at as like. Oh, Boise, that is not okay. Right. They were coded as something different to an audience that had different cultural understandings of things like sex and what is allowed outside of marriage and and how you uh, how violence towards women is framed in fiction and what it meant to them is maybe something different than what it means to us today. So all of that said, we're going to encounter some troubling themes. Um, and I'm not going to use... Um, any flippant language with some of these themes. Um, I will say one of them involves sexual assault, which is not pretty. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not ever going to treat that lightly. However, unfortunately, the history of romance novels heavily, heavily leans on Women being assaulted all the time for everything they do, always, constantly. But then it's okay because they fall but it's, in love. But it's okay. And, and you know, we're going to get into the conversation about, like, how that was framed as, you know, when a lot of these were published, premarital sex was not accepted. And so there's kind of this weird undertone of, like, it's okay to have premarital sex if the woman is taken forcefully, you know, mm-hmm. and it turns out fine in the end, right? So that's a whole sticky thing. But to to preface, we're going to be dealing with it. We're going to get deep in the paint in this book. Um, And, and it's like, fuck, I, hold on. Let me see how many pages this book is. This, page, this book is 600 pages long. Jeez, for, for a romance, like for like a Harley Quinn romance? So what's really interesting to me is I, I went deep in this because I, I, the reason I stumbled across this, I had never heard of this book before. And I was, I want to do a series within a series, you know, within the podcast of the history of romance novels, um, which will be slightly less gushy and fun and more of like an actual dissection of the history. And so I've been compiling that. And that's going to take me a while to get, to get into and actually post. But one of the things I kept running across was this book. And um, when I got into it and started reading a bunch of articles about it, um, I encountered a really short summary of uh, the the publishing history of it and how it was published, which is interesting to me for reasons. Um, and it's funny because at the time you could submit directly to publishers. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was more of the romance novel genre in itself was more of like a zine situation. Like it was, oh, okay, it was yeah. a lot more loosey goosey. It was very slapdash. Like there's a reason we got a lot of crap out there. And it's because like these books were only on, you know, the counter of the grocery store for like a week tops before they were tossed in the bin because they had another shipment coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so they weren't highly valued. And so the the 
cost of entry wasn't as high. Um, and this this woman, <laughs> Kathleen E. Woodwiss, I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, only because there's an extra I in there. It looks like Woodywiss, <laughs> but I'm going to say Woodwiss because that just makes more sense to my brain. I don't think she'd care. Maybe she would. I don't know. Uh, she wrote about some weird stuff. I, I don't know if I care what she thinks. Anyway, the novel was considered by every publisher she submitted to to be like, 200 pages too long, which, <laughs> frankly, I agree with. A 600-page novel is is kind as, of intense. As someone who has written an almost 700-page novel myself, I can tell you that is too long. It, no book should ever be that long. Well, yeah, especially, you know, as a bookseller, you know, we... we, we That's we, such we a hard sell. Yeah, it's such no, a hard no sell. No one wants to dedicate that much time, mm. especially if the book's not going to be that rewarding. Especially if the book only has a shelf life of what I, I assume they presumed it was going to be, like, what, like a week? Yeah. What are they going to make on that? Like, print alone. Like, that's, they're, they're not going to make their money on that. Um, so she was picked up by Avon Books, who published it. Um, and it was published in 1972. Now, the context of this is really interesting. And, again, this all plays into my history of romance novels situation that I will be publishing at some point like oh my god it's gonna take me a while i'm deep in it um so in 1966 the last of the obscenity laws in the united states was struck down um and a lot this is like a really complicated history but it is so fascinating because a lot of it has to do with like the dissemination of information on birth control that then plays into like eugenics and like it's it's a hot ass mess Mm -hmm. um but basically like pictures of naked women and therefore explicit material was it was illegal you could go to jail for it you'd be fined hugely for it um and you know if you're interested in how that plays into like the history of birth control and stuff there's a lot of really good stuff out there books about it and how that plays into the eugenics movement and this whole sticky history um but you know you were allowed to send pamphlets out on how poor women in the slums could avoid having unwanted pregnancies because it was considered explicit material. Yeah. Uh, and that's how a lot of uh, birth control advocates were thrown in jail on, like, uh, charges of, of obscenity. Very interesting. But in 1966, the last these were struck down because of a specific book called The Memoirs of Fanny Hill. <laughs> and I am going to do an episode on this. Holy God, is it... <laughs> You could probably do two or three episodes oh, on that. I like I don't want to because I don't want to have to get that deep into like the actual content of the book because it is almost unreadable. Um, but suffice it to say, this disgusting book, <laughs> this nasty, nasty, nasty <laughs> sex book that was published in the seventeen hundreds, uh, a few years after Pamela, which is the first official very chaste romance novel. Um complete opposite end of the spectrum actually now that I'm thinking about it um after that was published uh you know it went through hundreds of years of people banning it and illegal copies and putting you know nasty pictures in it and then it getting banned again and all this stuff and it went to the supreme court twice uh once in 150 years before 1966 whenever that was we're not gonna talk about that um and it was um it was it was considered they 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 aired on the side of like this is fine. There's nothing inherently illegal mm-hmm. about this. Like the judge may think it's nasty, but like it's not illegal. It's not illegal. So this sets the stage for a the sexual revolution 
and B, um, being able to publish smut. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which, like, revolutionizes the romance novel genre, uh, for better and for worse. Um, and so in 1972, not that long afterwards, the book The Flame and the Flower is published <laughs> by <laughs> Kathleen E. Ludwig. Uh, and oh boy, it has it, it has every every trope that you can think of. That's bad in a romance novel. Oh god! This is where they start, right? Like this right. is this is the jump off. Like it is, we're diving off off the the diving board into the pool of nasty right now, um, and we're we still see DNA of this book uh, and others of its ilk in novels that are published today. Um, you know, I'm thinking specifically of the whole. A sexual assault leads to romance situation, um, mm-hmm. which didn't start here. I will say that it didn't start like the Sheik, uh, which right. is another book we will be covering at some point. Um, very much plays on this, along with Orientalism and a bunch of other troubling, nasty, nasty ideas. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, don't worry, he turns out to be white in the end. It's fine. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I, I will say. It, it, it is a huge impact. It has a huge, huge impact to this day. Um, specifically, like I'm thinking of one of the most notable ones that I've encountered recently was um, one of Cressley Cole's books that begins with like four or five sexual assaults of the main character. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a matter of like what your reader knows in the context and, mm. like, the reader understands, generally, that, like, it's sexual assault, but it's not, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fiction. It's going to lead somewhere. Yeah, it's go- It's not maliciously done, usually. Like, there's some mitigating fact. Like, you make all sorts of excuses for it. And whether you think that's right or not, it, that is that is what we're dealing with today. And a lot of that has its root in these books. These uh, As um, the Smart Bitches over as the Smart Bitches Guide to Romance Novels and their website, which is fascinating um and like a tentpole in the industry um they they would call it an old school romance um and it's it it is old school so let's dive in i'm so ready okay okay obviously because i keep forgetting to say this spoilers 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 (laughs) i don't know why you'd want to read this book after i'm gonna be done telling you this but spoilers um so we begin in a little town, little little village outside of London, I guess. I don't know. Geography's like not a thing in this. Anyway, uh in a in a rundown little cottage with the main character, our heroine of today. Her name is Heather Simmons. And she is a fresh-faced 18-year-old girl. And she is gorgeous. Well, they made her a consenting age. Um Oh. Would probably wouldn't have mattered either way. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and also, like, she's consistently referred to as a child, and it's considered okay, um, which is tr- also tr- troubling. Um, okay, so uh, I'm just gonna give you my character summaries uh, that I, I started this outline out with. Um, so Heather Simmons, penniless but virtuous orphan of fine breeding and terrible luck. Oh man! So she's living with her terrible aunt and uncle. She is an orphan. Her dad, uh, her mom passed away giving birth to her. Of course, uh, 
all that child guilt. Anyway, um, and her dad was so distraught over this that he squandered his fortune, although he loved his daughter very much. He squandered his fortune in gambling dens and then he passed away and she was given over to his brother and his wife. This was confusing. It doesn't matter to you, but it was very confusing who how these people were, were related to her. And his terrible, terrible wife. Uh, and she, she... One thing that's really interesting about this book, and I haven't read Kathleen E. Woodless's other books, so I don't know if this is across the board, but I will say that all of the people that she views as villains except for one exception at the very end, um, are all women. And they're all, like, ugly, fat women, you know? Oh, like, like very stepsister. Very, like, grotesque. Like, they're, you know, you can't you can't be a good person. Like, I don't know. Like, all the, all the good people have, like, some beauty to them, whereas, like, yeah. okay, all right. Like, I'm not... Like, how the Wicked Witch has to be this ugly, mm-hmm. wart-witten long pointy nose kind of a person you can't just be we're not talking cinderella 2 where the evil stepsister gets her like her happily ever after even though she's ugly we're not talking about that we're talking about like some like straight up like fat phobia Mm -hmm. like just i don't very uncomfortable very uncomfortable and it's something that i noticed about halfway through and i was like damn because we also get in some deep deep in the slut shaman and like it's it's a lot it's a lot but um Evil auntie who believes that she is a because she's as beautiful as her Irish mother was, if not more so. Uh, she's inherently sinful and evil, and she like keeps her in rags and forces her to you know clean constantly and refuses to let her out of her sight because um, she is afraid that she will immediately go off and get herself pregnant. Right, because she's a harlot at heart, you know. Of course she is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because she's pretty, you know, and and all pretty people are whores. Yeah, because the, the, all their prettiness is for is just to attract the male. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I'm celibate because I'm ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like she, she definitely she calls her like a witch all the time. It's it's very much the situation. You know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, the book opens with an offer from this terrible woman's brother who is also fat and ugly. Because, <sighs> of course. So he uh, must be a bad person. Oh, you know he's going to be a bad person. Uh, he offers to take Heather into London and get her position at a girls' school uh, because she's educated. She's an educated young woman. She knows how to read and write. She's She's got good manners because of Somehow, of course, she does. Uh, you know, can't can't have her like be normal and like fit her circumstance anyway. Um, but he offers to take her, and uh, he owns a fancy dress shop in London. It, it's mind you, we are about we're in the seventeen hundreds when this is set, so it's like I think it's like twenty or so no not twenty years. I think it's like forty forty or fifty years after the revolution. So it's like colonial America, but like not I was like revolutionary. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that time period is. It's not yeah, I don't know. Um in between. History. Uh, yeah. They're, they're no one's wearing powdered wigs, but they probably should be wearing powdered wigs. Anyway, um so he he offers to take her and she's like, oh thank God, I'm getting out of here. This woman who beats me and makes me wear rags and I just like I, I just need to get out. Maybe I can find myself a good husband, like anything. Um, and so he takes her with him. And um 
of course. <laughs> She's there like one day and he immediately tries to rape her. Oh. Yeah. It is it is just <laughs> Who didn't see that coming? Yeah, I mean, and he's like nasty and like drooling, and it's like a whole thing. And oh. and Heather props to her, and I will keep saying that because it's very clear throughout the book that I don't think Kathleen E. Woodwas actually really cared about her heroine at all. Like she goes kind of to great lengths to get you to think that Heather is a coward, even though Heather is an is a child in the worst of circumstances at every turn. Mm-hmm. Um. And I love her because I think she does some actually pretty baller shit. Um, and and one of those things is she grabs a fruit knife and she stabs him. Um, oh, go Heather. Yeah, I know, right? She's this tiny little thing and she just she just pokes him. Um, and she she thinks that she's killed him. So she doesn't know what to do because she's like, I don't have any money. I don't I I, I don't know. So she flees. And she's in this, like, fancy dress that he had given her to eat dinner with him and stuff. And she's got her things in her arms. And, and she just she just runs because she's certain that she's killed him. Yeah. Um, and what is her what aunt going to do when she finds out that she's killed her favorite brother and, like, all this stuff? Um, and so she runs and she runs and she runs, absolutely certain that she's been pursued. And she ends up at the docks. Um, and she she <laughs> she's panicked obviously she's kind of hysterical and she's in shock she doesn't know what's going on and these two men come up to her and they're like oh you you look fine and she's like what and she assumes that they're there to bring her back she assumes that they're either like policemen or like she's been caught she doesn't really think about it she's just like oh shit they've caught me yeah um so she kind of follows them willingly when they tell her to to walk with them and um they lead her onto a ship big old ship and they take her into the captain's quarters and it is there that we meet Brandon Birmingham. Oh, gosh. Yep. Yep. It's not going to get better. Uh, and oh, what a name. It is now that I'm going to give you his character summary. Uh, rich bastard on the high seas, American <laughs> scoundrel, and idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so... <sighs> A trope that I really don't like, but is fairly common in these, like, old school romances, is the super fun trope of, oh, I thought she was a prostitute, so it's okay that I assaulted her. And that's exactly what happens here. You know, Brandon is this, like, of course, he's, like, six foot five, and, like, there's a lot of talk of his his beard, although I'm pretty sure they're, like, mutton chops, which is, yeah, Yeah. anyway. Um, He's, like, dark hair, and he's, like dark brown skin because he's out on the ocean all of the time and and he's he's a yankee um so he's crude and brisk and all this stuff and his britches are so tight across his thighs um his shirt looks so white against his brown skin but it's okay because he's not really brown anyway um so he assaults her and he thinks that she's like playing hard to get which like what in okay if she's a prostitute i don't know there there's a whole there's that's like a plot contrivance i'm not going to get on that there's a lot more to be upset about he assaults her and he immediately is just utterly enthralled by her because she's like so gorgeous and so like coquettish and you know and oh you know she 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 bent so sweetly to me when she gave up um because he is huge and she's terrified um yeah that oh she's a prostitute but with a heart of gold yeah oh she's a prostitute but i think i'm gonna keep this one around for a while 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Brandon sucks, dog. He's not getting that better. Is he? Is he? So is he supposed to be like the hero of the story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Unfortunately. Um. And and so Heather is assaulted twice. Once that night, and then the next morning. And he realizes the next morning that she was a virgin. So virgin's blood stains the sheets, which is horrifying. Because that probably wasn't that, 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 that means that something went terribly wrong. Yeah, that's not. Because he, he assaulted her. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. And and Heather, Heather is just barely functioning at this point. She's been through it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he realizes, he's like, oh. Oh, geez. Um, hmm. Did I do something wrong? He's like, I don't understand. Because he's trying to put it together. He's like, if you were a virgin, you could have asked for, like, way more money from me. And also, like, we didn't negotiate anything. Like, he's starting to realize that he he made he, he made a mistake. He's, he's, he's missed a step here. Right. And he's like, well, cool. You're, right. you're a virgin. All right. Cool. <laughs> that means that, like, you've never been with anybody else. I'm into that. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm not letting you go. Because I like you too much and you're you're too pretty. And I'm going to make you my mistress. So I'm going to set you up with a house in London. And uh, I'm going to buy you a bunch of fancy new clothes. And I'm just going to come around and boink you whenever I want. That's okay, right? And she's like, no. Nah. This poor, this poor oh, sweet child who's, who's been through it has the gall to tell him, I'm not a, pro- a prostitute. Like, no. And he goes, well, it doesn't matter now. Because I've had you and I'm not letting you go. So whether you were a prostitute or not, this is what's happening. So you better just get used to it. Because he's a terrible person. And, God, Heather Heather is so damn baller. Heather is so baller. Because um, she, she, she refuses. Like, even though, I mean, realistically, she is 100% aware that he has ruined her life. Because right. she can't get married now. Like she's broken. She's, she's, she's yeah. She's tainted. She's she's her lady's her lady's gift has been has been stolen. The one her. thing she had to offer for a man. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking grim, huh? Anyway, um, he 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 leaves her because he's got to go do some. I don't know, man business. I don't know. Beat on his chest. Yeah, his his furry furry chest. Um, oh. which is oh it oh it is called a uh, a mat. Of of chest hair so often. I I don't think you understand what I've been through reading (laughs) this book. I'm gonna show you at one point my notes that I took, because I because I read on my phone, so I can take notes on my my Kindle here. Um I can He sound he sounds like a dirty, dirty man who has a an unkept carpet on his chest. Yeah, and he wears ruffled shirts because that's apparently period accurate. It wasn't. It sounds like the whole. I'm just gonna. Yeah, that sounds like about right. Uh, yeah. Colonial. Yeah, just yeah. His, you know, quote unquote historical London. The, here's the thing. I'm not normally a sick stickler for costume stuff in books i obviously i'm a sewing enthusiast i'm a i'm a historical fashion enthusiast um lack skill almost completely but enthusiastic (laughs) about it um and i i don't i don't 
care really. I, th- I find it interesting when they know what they're talking about and they include detail. However, if they don't know what they're talking about, I don't mind like them fudging it and be like, yeah, there was a corset there or something like that in stockings or whatever. However, Kathleen Ewoodwiss is telling me <laughs> it's tough for me to talk about because she she has no concept of undergarments at this time, which should be, you would think, you would think that that would be one of the like simplest things to grasp that at, at the very least understand like corsets and they weren't corsets they were stays they're different but you know a layman's understanding that women wore corsets up until very recently up until the like 50s women were wearing corsets right and like for you for you to tell me that this book is set in it's like the 1750s or no the 1790s or whatever it is and this woman at one point, her dress gets wet, and she's like, oh, you can see my nipples through my dress. No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. You couldn't see your nipples. You couldn't. You, you know how many layers? You have a chemise, and then you have stays, and then you have a gown. Like, you do not. It is impossible. It is you, impossible. You couldn't even see Elizabeth Swan's nipples after Jack Sparrow saves her through the water. And no. he cuts. He literally no. chops that thing off. No, you couldn't. Like, okay, get rid of the, like, panniers, get rid of, like, the crinolines or whatever. Okay, fine. Those are inconvenient to plot purposes. I understand. You want them to be able to get naked fast. But don't come at me and tell me that in 1790, a woman is going to come out with her tits out. Like, do not tell me that. Like, also, yeah, like... The fabric wouldn't have... The fabric would have been too... Th- like, that... Oh... I'm just, it's just, it's just troubling to me. And also, like, then after I realized she didn't know what she was talking about, every time afterwards that she was like, and he stripped her of her gown and then she was just naked. It's like, no, no. <laughs> like, you could do things with that. You can make that sexy. Like, you don't have, anyway. Okay, we're gonna, and this is not what this is about, but I'm just saying it bothered me. I'm actually kind of, I'm actually a little relieved that's what the issue is. I thought you were going to say something like they were wearing thongs or <laughs> or he was wearing boxers mm-hmm. or something super historically inaccurate. Yeah. No, no. But it was it was enough to incense me. But it doesn't take very much. Okay. So here's where I really enjoyed Heather is because um, although Kathleen E. Woodwiss uh, – desperately tries to make us believe that Heather is a coward. The first thing she does when Brandon leaves is search his entire cabin and find two empty flintlock pistols at the bottom of his uh, his his wardrobe and promptly bluffs her way off of the ship despite the fact that they have been told not to let her off by holding them hostage with empty guns. Really? She wrote about as heroin by accident? She wrote about as heroin by accident and, like, spent the rest of the book trying to tell me that she wasn't. Anyway, and she does other things that are dope. Again, this is a, this is a child who is in shock. She believes that she has killed a man who tried to assault her. Um, she is alone and penniless in a foreign city. She has had her future stolen from her by what appears to be an incredibly cruel man. Um, and she is now faced with a prospect of returning to her incredibly cruel aunt, whose brother she just murdered. Like, there is no part of me that looks at that child and goes, okay, panty waist. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, you can't can't handle it? Like, jeez, man, you should have stayed. Just man up. Yeah, man, what are you doing? Hmm? Hmm. 
Oh, that poor kid. She's been through the ringer. It's awful. It's awful. Brandon sucks. Also, he's like 35, by the way. Anyway. Um, okay. So that, that's normal. Yeah, super, super, super normal. 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 <laughs> um, so Heather somehow manages incredibly to get back to her little village. Not really explained how. I don't really care other than she probably had to do something cool to do it because, like, she didn't have money. Like, how does she – it's not within walking distance, I assume. Uh, anyway, she returns and uh, a couple of months pass, like a month or two. Uh, and Heather – pregnant. Heather, yeah, (laughs) Heather being the innocent child that she is does not recognize her symptoms of fatigue and sickness and, uh, you know, tender boobies as as being pregnant. Um, Well, Fanny, or is her name Fanny? Aunt Fanny. Her name is Aunt Fanny. I just remember that. Um, Aunt Aunt Fanny uh, recognizes it and immediately flips out because this is exactly exactly what she she worried about this is exactly what she was going to do she's unmarried now she's coming home pregnant she's going to ruin her reputation because she was supposed to be looking after her um and this is really really sad because um not just prior to the discovery of her pregnancy um Heather receives another, she receives a proposal from a young man in town. He's the cobbler's son. And he's in love with her. And she never thought she would get a proposal because she doesn't have a dowry. She doesn't have anything to offer. And he doesn't care. And he he makes this really heartfelt declaration to her. And she, she, she she's really sad because he's fine. She, she would have said yes. Um, but she's so virtuous mm. that she can't bear the idea of, Giving him damaged goods. So she doesn't even know she's pregnant at this point. But but she doesn't have her virginity. She doesn't she has, have a virginity to she offer. She doesn't have any money. Like, what? She has nothing to bring him. There's so nothing she could do. She tells him no. She tells him no, no. Oh. Your parents would never approve. I don't have a dowry. And he insists. And she's like, finally she realizes that she's going to just have to have to put this guy off. Um. So she... She... She she basically like acts like a little bit little bit of little bit of a tart, you know. She's like, "Oh, how could I ever want you? You know, you're below me, stuff like that." Because everyone knows that she's a lady. She's just in bad circumstances, right? And he's just a cobbler's son. Um, and it, you know, it's really that that scene was really heartbreaking because he also just immediately flips on her and is like, "Oh, everyone was right about you," and it's like, "All right." He's acting through his emotions. Yeah. All right. Okay. He's like seventeen. All right. All right. Okay. Um. But she's discovered to be pregnant, and Aunt Fanny goes into overdrive, trying to figure out how to fix this. Um, and she contacts a powerful friend of uh, who was who was once a powerful friend of of Heather's father, um, who was a lord in the. I don't know. He's some some. I don't. I'm not gonna get he has into a specific this. title. He's some. He's like Lord Hampton. Some Hamilton. I don't know. That's not, probably not. It was probably just me thinking about the musical. Um, and he uh he basically they they blackmail. Oh no. They blackmail Brandon into marrying her. Oh oh no. Yeah 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 yeah. It's not great. Oh, he still. I'm kind of shocked he would, he still. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is that Brandon 
Brandon sucks. <laughs> I hate Brandon. I think half my notes are me just saying I hate Brandon. Um, because he has been looking for her this whole time. He basically tore London apart trying to find her. Uh, and but w- but when they finally find him and they bring Heather into London and they have this like mediation to determine that he actually did assault her and that uh, that is the basis for, you know, he has to marry her um, or else the powerful friend is going to say that he was actually smuggling and, you know, illegal stuff when he wasn't because he's, mm-hmm. he's like a regular old merchant. Um, and uh, he 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 it is immediately obvious that he is livid he is so pissed that he's being backed into a corner how dare you push me here i am alpha male how (laughs) dare you do this to me um even though later he like comes out and says like oh yeah i probably if you just asked me i would have married you she's like cool i'm like 18 i'm pregnant i have no money and there's no way i could have gotten in contact with you but sure be mad at me about it anyway um yeah because of course it's her fault it's her fault it's super her fault because she's the one with the vagina anyway um so he he's he's immediately pissed. And there's this scene where like he sees Aunt Fanny hit Heather really hard across the face and call her a witch and a whore and all this stuff and he gets really pissed on her behalf and like says, If you ever hit her again, I'll I don't know, I don't know what he does. He threatens her but like in a gentlemanly way. Um and this leads to their 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 wedding night. Oh no. Which is which is rough for reasons that you 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 cannot you, you're not thinking of. Um, so they get married. Heather is terrified of this man. Every time she sees him, like she she like feels like she's going to throw up. She's so so scared of this man. Yeah, that's, she's got, that's her assaulter. Yeah, it's her it's her assaulter. It's it's her you know the the horror of her nightmares. It's this man who like he apparently hates her. Like he's he's really really not nice to her and he barely even looks at her and she she shows up to the altar and they they get married and she's like like oh god um and um everyone's afraid that he's gonna hurt her Um, oh it's it's that obvious yeah it's really really obvious he is pissed and uh lord let's just call lord hamilton lord hamilton <laughs> who who loves heather like a daughter but was not allowed was not given her custody uh him and his wife really wanted to to raise her as their own after her father passed away but fanny wanted her father's money oh. so so they took her and so he's he's doing his best to take care of her and he even offers to pay her dowry which brandon refuses because americans don't do that or so, I don't know. I don't know. Beat we'll, on his monkey chest. We'll, we'll not pay for his wife. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Um, but uh, he, he insists that they stay their wedding night at his house, just in case Brandon does something terrible to her, and they can run to her rescue. Which is like, hey, if you think that's an option, there's probably other things you could do to help Heather than marry her to this man. Yeah. Because he's going to immediately take her back to the new the freaking United States with him. Like, that's such a bad move. Uh, I could see I could see their logic there, but that's just, it's one of those, it's like, yeah, you could do that or you can actually help her. Don't, if you have the forethought to, to think that this is going to happen, oh. Yeah. Why did was there anything he could But also like if he raped her, it's it's fine because he's her husband. It's he's taking his husbandly dues, which is a phrase that's used more than once in the book. Oh god. So wait, so these are the ones the the the, the Ham Lord Hamilton. 
mm-hmm. helped them get married. Yes. Blackmailed him into marrying her, yes. Was it obvious that he was, like, an asshole then, too? Yeah. Oh. But, but she's pregnant. Like, yeah. I, I mean, at the time, or at least in Kathleen E. Woodwiss's understanding of the time, um, they didn't have another option. Heather, like, no other man would have married her, and or they didn't think to get a different man to marry her. It claimed to be her child's father or whatever. Yeah. Um, and Brandon does offer to make her his mistress anyway and just set her up in London and basically leave her there and just pay for everything. Like, he offers a pretty sweet deal um, because he doesn't want to get married because he's already engaged. <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sticky, sticky, sticky. He's engaged to a woman named Louisa back in North Carolina. Who would agree to marry this man? A terrible woman. A terrible woman. Who will be our antagonist for the second half of the book in part two of the podcast. There's a second. This is not even the halfway point. We're in bullet point two. Yeah, we haven't even. Yeah. You weren't joking. This is this is definitely a wild ride. It's a, it's a, it's a beefy one. It's a oh. nasty beefy one. Yeah. So, so Brandon is in the wedding suite with his wife. <laughs> And she's terrified of him, but she assumes that they're going to do it. And it's going to be awful for her. And Brandon is... Brandon is the worst. I hate Brandon. I'm part of the hate Brandon squad. He's bad. He's a bad guy. Um, And everyone looks fantastic compared to him, including someone at the end who actually, like, assaults and murders women. Anyway. Oh. Um, oh, no. Yeah, that's a fun... That's a, that's a real doozy at the end. Um... He basically, he, he frightens her. He makes moves like he's going to, to sleep with her. Mm-hmm. And then at the last minute, he, um, he, he tells her in no uncertain terms that uh, he will never sleep with her again. He will never sleep with her again. He will give her no money. He will give her no affection. When they get back to North Carolina, what he's going to do is he is, for all the outward appearances, going to treat her as a dutiful husband. He is going to, like, give her clothes. He's going to, like, let her run the house. But privately, he is going to completely abandon her. He is not going to give her any money to buy things on her own. He is not going to love her. He is not going to acknowledge her. He is not going to give her more children. Nothing. Um, Because he firmly believes that she is the one who set this up. Because it was her evil plan this whole time. Because she clearly has so much power in this situation. (laughs) This this 18-year-old girl in 1790 who's an unwed mother. Yeah, she's got all the power here. Oh, for sure. That, you know, she she secretly was seducing Mm -hmm. him. That this was her her evil plot. Because, of course, this beauty came and she took advantage of me. And Mm -hmm. now I'm trapped by her and her Stupid family connections. Yeah. And also I have to go back to America and tell my fiance that I, you know, I I can't marry her. And he's not really sad about that because the only reason he wants to marry this woman named Louisa is because she owns a plot of land that was once owned by his family and he wants it back. And she will not marry him or she will not sell it to him, even though he has offered her many times uh, to buy it for way more than it's worth. And uh, he... He basically has been forced into marrying her to get this land back as a matter of pride, I think. Like, he doesn't even really want it. He just wants it back in his family. 
and he like doesn't care about her at all and also he's like she's like a profligate slut so it's fine she sleeps around all the time i don't really care about her at all um it tracks yeah it, it does track um and so he's not upset on like an emotional level but he's pissed that he's he's been backed into a corner because he's like a it's like a feral dog, like just yeah, yeah. He he's like you could have thrown me a sausage, and instead you you locked me in a cage. I'm snarl at you now. <laughs> Stupid. Look at my chest hair. See how it bristles. Um. So the next morning they leave for his ship, and uh, it's he's he's he's. <laughs> He's the worst, man. He's the worst. They they get Heather some clothes. There's like a whole subplot of like most of Brandon's arc is him just like battling this existential enemy that is his lust for her. He he lusts after Heather like it's a disease. He can't control it. Oh, and every time he feels any sort of like flush upon him mm-hmm. he treats her like shit as punishment because <laughs> it's her fault that she's so sexy she's got sexy disease and she's passed it on to him and he's mad about it because there's no cure except for sleeping with her which he will not do which he will not do and she's like and he's also super pissed that like when he told her that she was like oh thank god yeah i would, I would assume you know it sounded like she was bracing for impact there on their wedding night uh-huh and as bad as as what he said was it's kind of like well I'm not gonna get raped. Ugh. Oh, thank God he's not gonna touch me. And she's like, I'm used to not having any money. That's cool. And she's like sad that she she's gonna have such a loveless future. But she she's also is like, but I'm gonna have a baby and like I'll have a roof over my head. I'll be away head. from my aunt and and I'll be away from also the looming specter of the man I killed. <laughs> um and things could be worse. Yeah, not by much, but they could be. Considering the circumstances, it's not that bad of a deal, I guess. Yeah. You know, having having to be wed to your assaulter and the father of your your raped child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he, maybe that's going to be for the best. She can kind of just live her own life. So, Dote on the baby. Yeah. If she, if she likes the baby. She and she's like desperate for the baby to be a girl because she's like she knows that he wants a son because a virile man like like Brandon has, will, to, has to have a son. Of course, he would plant his his manly seed upon her yeah. fertile soil. Uh, and and you know, spoilers, they do have a son, um, but they give him the worst name. Oh no! Well, I will save that for part two. Um, so um, they go back on the ship. They they live on the ship for a while, or they don't live on the ship. They they live in like a. And in by the ship, and Heather is almost kidnapped, and 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 raped again um, by like just some like ne'er do wells who are like in the inn with them, and like the first night they're sleeping there with him and Brand or her and Brandon, um, they like break into their room and like go to like kidnap her out of his bed, what? which is wild. And Brandon like confronts them buck ass naked and forces them to jump out of a window. Anyway, that was very fun. But he's still a bastard. Yeah. Just, you know, you don't get kudos for, for keeping your wife safe from rapists. Yeah, exactly. They were going to, like, kidnap her and, like, sell her to a brothel or something. It was, like, a whole thing. Um, but uh, there's this weird interlude where we we see Brandon, like, really, oh, he hates her. He hates her so much. And, but he's also, like, struggling with his lust. And he, like, oh, and she is 
she's got that fantastic character flaw of being so beautiful but so virtuous and naive that she has no concept of her own allure and so she can't possibly know that like every time she does her hair or something in front of him he's so overcome with the aching in his (laughs) loins um and it's really gross (laughs) Yeah, that's just such fetishization right there. It's... Mind you, she is 18 and he is 35. And he's already gotten her pregnant. How, what, what is like the timeline in this book? Like how long has it been since? I think she... it's only been like two months, three oh. months. Oh. In total. Yeah, since, since, since she stabbed the, the brother? Encounter. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. Um, and they're, so they're there for a while. And at one point, Brandon gets, is so overcome with lust that he, despite her, he is also, he promised that he's going to get a mistress to take care of his manly needs instead of her. And she's like, cool. Um, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, but he, he decides to go out one night after she has tempted him one too many times and to like find a lady of the night to relieve his, his aching cloings. Cause there's all this built a pent up energy from yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he cannot be celibate. He cannot be, he's not suited to the monk's life. Um, and he he gets rip, roaring drunk. And this is the beginning of, I like to call, Brandon's alcohol journey. This man is an alcoholic. He is an alcoholic. There is not a point after this that he does not have a, a I hate the word, a snifter. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, of it's like a little like an alcohol glass, right? Uh, it's awful, awful word. I hate it. Um, in his hand, at some point, and at several points in the book, he gets so drunk that he's like violent. And at, at this point in the book, he comes back to their room at the inn, and he he like assaults her. He doesn't oh. not completely, but he like rips her her chemise off and like. Just is like, oh, I hate you so much. You have no idea what you do to me. And then he like passes out, right? And she's like, I just like saw my life flash before my eyes. Yeah. Um, but she still like helps him take off his shirt and like, you know, puts him to bed. Puts him to oh. bed, takes his boots off because like she's virtuous or whatever. But don't worry, she's still a coward anyway. Because the only cowards do yeah. what she's done. And oh, don't worry, he didn't sleep with anyone because he only wants Heather. Yeah, because he would never break that marriage vow. No, he wants to, but he's so overcome with lust for her that no other woman compares. It's not because he cares about his vows. Oh. So they they live there for a while, and he makes a point to get her a bunch of really fancy clothes because he's a man who likes nice things, and so that he has all this like whole new wardrobe made for her, and he's very specific about he about what he wants her to wear, and like, don't worry, he's got a great eye, so she looks fabulous or something. Just just dressing up his little doll. Just, uh, yeah. to, just to show off to the world that he can and look at look at what he won, even and though he, he despises her. Also, like he gets upset with her when when like the lady like lays out fabric samples and she picks like the cheapest ones because A, she's that's how she she's been raised, she has no money. And B, he's told her under no like he's told her baldly in no uncertain terms that she is not to spend any money, not any money. And so when she's like, okay, he's here with me, obviously he's going to buy these things, but I'm going to pick the cheapest ones because like, I don't want him to 
flip freak out. out. On me. Yeah. yeah, it's a self defense thing. It's a little bit of the kind of just an instinct. Of course, you go for the cheaper stuff. But he like pulls a switcheroo, and he's like, "How could you do this? Like, no, we'll get this one and this one and this one and this one and you know the most expensive fabrics and stuff." And and he looks at her. He's like, "I can't believe you would like embarrass of course you, me. You can get whatever you want, obviously." And she's like, <laughs> "Is this?" <laughs> <laughs> when when what and this is this comes up again later and it's infuriating so they set sail for for america and um she's not excited because she knows that they are setting sail for a, a completely foreign place to her b um she is aware that they are going to encounter his fiance his fiance um and that he will have to break the news to her and that she's she's arriving unexpectedly and she's going to arrive heavily pregnant and oh, that trip alone would be. And the trip alone is going to be really hard. Also, like, she's going to have to endure people doing the math. And, you know, oh. like anyone who knew Brandon would know when he set sail and be able to do like a rough sketch of like when they would have met, when they would have gotten married, when she would have gotten knocked up. And it's a pretty damning, yeah, you know, there, there's equation. Not, there's not a lot of wiggle room in there. No. <laughs> Too much, one might say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they set sail, and things are really tense. The crew really likes Heather. Um, she's she's very good. She's you know she she is a very dutiful wife. She's terrified of him, but it's like whatever. Um, and they sleep in the same bed, but like it's not great atmosphere wise but brandon at this point is starting to waver on his own like vow to himself to be as cruel to her as possible um because he's an idiot and he shouldn't have done that in the fr- anyway brandon sucks <laughs> brandon sucks um and he he kind of begins to have the thought process of like i really i need to be a man of my word no you don't but i need to be a man of my word and keep up with what i promised her which was to punish her at every turn but also, like, I kind of want to, like, maybe what if I wooed her, though? Like, what if I actually made her love me? Like, I would actually, like, really like that. I'd like her to actually love me. Oh, because just, just being the wife there isn't enough. Because it sucks. It sucks. He's made a terrible environment. Like, Yeah, like, who would want to love you after all of this bullshit? And also, like, he he likes Heather. He admires Heather. He he hates her as much as he likes her. And he realizes that, like, he's being an idiot, which I do kind of like that he realizes that he is a stubborn, hot-headed jackass. Um, he just can't step out of it. Um, it takes forever for him to step out of it, which is ridiculous. And so he kind of begins to, to soften a little bit. And it is at this point that they have, he's like, starts to try and coax her in his direction, while also, like, still occasionally flipping out on her for just being too sexy. Anyway, um, he, he, they get into this fight, and I don't really remember what the fight is about. It's not important. But they get into this fight over um, something, and Heather doesn't want to sleep in the same bed as him. She does not. And he's like, fine, well, where are you going to sleep? Because I'm not, I'm not leaving my bed. And so she goes and she sleeps in, like, this window seat. And they're on a ship in the middle of, like, the Arctic or something. Oh, no. And, you know, it's, like, leaded glass. It's not triple insulated. It's not any of that. And she's she's sleeping there. Um, and Brandon's like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Of course, what happens is she gets, like, really ill because of the cold and the water that seeps through. And she almost dies. Like, she, strip, she gets, like, really severely ill. And Brandon freaks out. Which, 
okay, like, you don't get points. You don't get points for that. <laughs> you also should have known better. Like, you should have known better. Yeah. But he didn't it, care. It, it's almost it's almost funny that he cared so much in the sense, like, that, that he's freaking out about it. Because if he didn't want, you know, he has this, like, weird love-hate relationship over her. Mm-hmm. That if she died, all his problems would go away. All his problems would go away. He'd also lose his kid. And he wants his kid. He does. He does want his kid. Oh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I figured. He tells her that f- frequently that he he, if if nothing else, he he will love his kid because she is afraid of that. She's like, are you gonna be like, are you gonna be like a terrible father to my kid because you hate me? Please don't. Please don't do that. Because um, that's how she lived, right? She lived with a person who hated her. Um, and and he's like, what are you talking about? Of course I'll love my kid. Because that, that's inherent. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay. Because I feel so safe with you all the time. Yeah. I would, I would of course, instinctly trust you with my child. No. No, 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 no. Um, so Brandon nurses her back to health. And she is, I mean, she's severely, severely ill. And the whole time she's like hallucinating and talking in her sleep. And, you know, he's, he's nursing her. It's like six days. And he doesn't sleep. He doesn't eat. He, he's, he's real messed up. He does the whole, like, there's this trope that happens, and I, I fall into it, too. It's really easy. Like, when you need something to happen in a plot, and, like, you've, you've given two characters a lot of conflict with each other, mm-hmm. it's a really easy way to kind of, like, smooth things over is to make a bigger problem where one of them, like, gets hurt or, like, gets is ill, and the other person, like, is so worried about them or whatever. It just smooths things over. And this is kind yeah. of what that is, where... They kind of climb over this hurdle of being antagonistic strangers to each other when this happens. Because Brandon proves that he, like, is desperate to keep her alive. Yeah. And Heather realizes that, like, he, you know, he took care of her. It it forces, like, this bonding intimacy there. Yeah. And it's... I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan because I don't think he deserves it. But whatever. Um... And at this point, you know, she recovers and she immediately she wakes up and she's like, the baby, is the baby dead? Is the baby dead? And he's like, no, no, everything's fine. Um, and Brandon, like, starts acting a little shifty here in that, like, he's like, starts asking, like, well, do you have anything, like, you want to talk about? Like, are you okay? Like, what are you so scared of? And she doesn't understand why he's asking this. Um, and, but he, he's... That his, sounds like a trap. Well, he's kind of, he's he's clearly softened to her over this time, although he's kind of embarrassed about how well he, like, cared for her. Because he's like, I don't, I don't want her to know that I, that I see, I don't need, no, no one tell her that. Um, even though, like, she woke up and he was, like, haggard and, like, anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and so they kind of begin to cross this hurdle with each other and, and they act more like a married couple a little bit. You know, they, they share their meals, things are a lot lighter. He's still a dick pretty routinely. But. They're beginning to become friends, um, for better or worse. There's something there that wasn't there before. <laughs> this is like the worst Beauty and the Beast. This is the worst. This is like if she married Gaston. I don't like this. Yeah, it's like they bond if they somehow bonded over like being injured by the Beast. If he were to have survived that or something. Yeah, or like Gaston <sighs> took her in the barn and assaulted her. And she got pregnant. Uh, yeah. Um. God, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just scrolling through my notes here trying to find. So we're going to, we're going to wrap up this episode. And because this is about halfway through the book. We're only half. Wait. wait. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, and I've skipped. Hey, dude, I've skipped so much. I've skipped so much. I'm trying to shorten this as much as I possibly can because A, it's really hot in here. And B, like, we have so much left to talk about. We haven't even gotten to, to Charleston yet. 
Yeah. Oh no. Um, I. It could have been a semi-sweet story if she were able to, you know, marry the the cobble, the cobble, the whatever his the kid was. I know. It, well, we wouldn't have had a book. But there are two quotes that I want to leave leave this out on as we sail into Charleston's Harbor. Oh. This is one from when uh, she is ill, and he's he's looking after her. And Brandon says from page two hundred and twelve. For this brief time, he would forget his passions and his vengeance and just think of her as a little girl in need of someone to care for her. Uh, My notes on that were Mm. gross. (laughs) The infantilizing language is super prevalent in this book. It is. And it's because of this underlying theme of. This this is not just a love story. It's also her coming of age story, which is like all sorts of messed up, dog. Oh, it's a... like so gnarly, though. Oh, you you can't you can't talk about your the woman you're gonna bang like that. No, you, mm. you, the, the, it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot. It's really bad. Um, but to to end this episode until part two, uh, I want you to one of. One of my favorite lines in this entire book. And there's a couple. There's a couple real uh, choice nugs. <laughs> and this one is, damn you, you crusty bull. <laughs> it's just good. And they're talking about Brandon, of course, of course. Um, it's pretty choice. Is there a crusty bull? Like, is that is that his chest hair? <laughs> I'm assuming it's because he's like such a virile... A humping guy. I don't know. I don't oh, know. I don't. I don't think I want to know what that bowl is. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of like gross animal analogies of like running and stuff, and I'm like, am I reading like werewolf fanfics right now? Like, I don't. This is gross. <laughs> um. So, in part two, we will cover oh. what happens when they get to Charleston and the birth of their child and the utterly bewildering ending to this book. Oh, this is. Oh, I think I'm bracing for impact. The, the, you're not ready. You're not ready. No. Yeah. It's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. I'm going to. Ha- yeah. Okay. So uh, if you liked this book, um, I can't really imagine why, but if you're <laughs> curious, maybe um, the link is in the description. Uh, we will be back next week with the second half. Uh, Jessica, you're not allowed to leave my closet because we do have to record the next, <laughs> next half. Uh, um, I hope you guys liked it. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, if you want to give me any sort of direction of any books that you want me to read on this podcast, please contact me at kingdomofthirst at gmail.com or kingdomthirst Twitter, kingdomthirst Instagram. Uh, Also, just follow me because I don't have any followers yet. Uh, (laughs) All right, Jessica, you have anything you need to plug? Anything you want to talk about? Go vote. Yeah, that's a good one. We're going to date this podcast, but go vote. Yeah, go vote. Yeah. Also, wear a mask. Yeah. Wash your hands. Um, and be cool. But get, get just prepare yourself because I don't think I'm prepared. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, if you're in California, please stop, stop setting things on fire. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.